Hello, and welcome back to the Very Hairy Podcast. I'm your reader, Talon, and let's get started. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban by J.K. Rowling. Read to you by Talon and illustrated by Jim K. Chapter 4, The Leaky Cauldron. It took Harry several days to get used to a strange new freedom. Never before had he been able to get up whenever he wanted, or eat whatever he fancied. He could even go wherever he liked, as long as it was in Diagon Alley. And as this long, cobbled street was packed with the most fascinating wizarding shops in the world, Harry felt no desire to break his word to Fudge and stray back to the muggle world. Harry ate breakfast each morning in the leaky cauldron, where he liked watching other guests. Funny little witches from the country up for a day shopping. Vulnerable-looking wizards arguing over the latest article of Transfiguration Today. Wild-looking warlocks. Ruckus? I don't know what this says, but I'm going to guess it says ruckus. Ruckus dwarves. And once, what looked suspiciously like a hag... Who ordered, a pl- who ordered a plate of raw liver from behind the thick woolen balaclava. After breakfast, Harry would go into the backyard, take out his wand, and tap the third brick from the left above the dustbin, and stand back as the archway to Diagon Alley opened in the wall. Harry spent the long, sunny days exploring the shops and eating under the brightly colored umbrellas outside cafes, where he where his fellow diners were showing each other their purchases. It's a lunoscope, old boy. Nope, no more messing around with those moon charts, see? Or else discussing the case of Sirius Black. Personally, I wouldn't let any of the children out until he's back in Azkaban. Harry didn't have to do his homework under the blankets by torchlight anymore. Now he could sit in bright sunshine outside Florin Fortescue's ice cream parlor, finishing all his essays with the occasional help from Florin Fortescue himself, who, apart from knowing a great deal about medieval witch burnings, gave Harry free Sundays every half hour. Once Harry had refilled his money bag with golden galleons, silver sickles, and bronze canuts from his vault at Green Gauntz, he needed to exercise a lot of self-control, not to spend the whole lot at once. He had to keep reminding himself that he had five years to go at Hogwarts, and how it would feel to ask the Dursleys for money for spellbooks to stop him and how it would feel to ask the Dursleys for money for spellbooks to stop himself from buying a handsome set of solid gold gobstones, a wizarding game rather rather like marbles, in which the stones squirted a nasty-smelling liquid into the other player's face when they lost a point. He was sorely tempted, too, by the perfect moving model of the galaxy in a large glass ball, which would have meant he never had to take another astronomy lesson. But the thing that tested Harry's resolution most appeared in his favorite shop, Quality Quidditch Supplies, a week after he had arrived at the Leaky Cauldron. Curious to know what the crowd what the crowd in the shop was staring at, 
Harry edged his way inside and squeezed in amongst the excited witches and wizards until he glimpsed a newly erected podium on which was mounted the most magnificent broom he had ever seen in his life. Just come out, prototype, a square-jawed a square wizard was telling his companion. Is it the fastest room in the world? It's the fastest room, broom in the world, isn't it, Dad? Squeaked a boy younger than Harry, who was swinging off his father's arm. Irish international, Irish international, Irish international sides just put in an order for seven of these beauties. The proprietor told the, of the proprietor of the shop told the crowd, and their favorites of the World Cup. A large witch in front of Harry moved, moved, and Harry was able to read the sign next to the broom. The Firebolt. This state-of-the-art racing broom sports and streamlined, sports a streamlined, superfine handle of ash, treated with diamond-hard polish and hand-numbered with its own registration number. Each individually selected birch twig in the broom tail has been honed to an aerodynamic perfection, giving the firebolt unsurpassable balance and pinpoint precision. Precision. The firebolt has an acceleration of 0 to 150 miles an hour in 10 seconds. In 10 seconds. And in incorporates an unbreakable braking charm. Price on request. Price on request. Harry didn't like to think how much gold the firebolt the firebolt would cost. He had never wanted anything so much in his whole life. Bit, but he'd never lost a Quidditch match with his Nimbus two thousand. And what was the point of emptying his Green God's vault for a firebolt when he had a good broom? When he had a very good broom already. Harry didn't ask for the price. But he returned almost every day after that, just to look at the firebolt. There were, however, things that Harry needed to buy. He went to the, apothec the apothecary to replenish his store of potions ingredients. And his school robes were now several inches, inches too short at the arm and leg. He visited, he visited Madame Monkin's robe shops for all occasions and bought new ones. Most important of all, he had to buy his new school books, which would include those for his two new subjects, Care of Magical Creatures and Divination. Harry got a surprise as he, look, as he looked in at the bookshop window. Instead of the usual display of gold of gold embossed spell books, the size of paving slabs, there was a large iron cage behind the glass which held about a hundred copies of the Monster Book of Monsters. Torn pages were flying everywhere as the books grappled each other, locked together in furious wrestling matches, and snapping aggressively. Harry pulled his book list out of his pocket and consulted it for the first time. The Monster Book of Monsters was listed in the set was listed as the set for care medical creatures. Now Harry understood why Hagrid had said it. It would come in useful, said it, 
it had it would come in useful. He felt relieved. He had been wondering whether Hagrid wanted help with some terrifying new pet. As Harry entered Flourish and Blocks, the manager came hurrying towards him. Hogwarts, he said abruptly, come to get your new books? Yes, Her said Harry. I need, get out of the way, said the manager impatiently, brushing Harry aside. He drew on a pair of thick, very thick gloves, picked up a large, knobbly walking stick, and proceeded towards the door of Monster Book of the Monster Book of Monsters cage. Hang on, Harry said quickly. I've already got, I've already got one of those. Have you? A look of enormous relief spread over the manager's face. Thank heavens for that. I've been bitten five times already this morning. A loud ripping noise rent the air. Two of the monster, bo monster books had seized the third and were pulling it apart. Stop it! Stop it! cried the manager, poking the walking stick through the bars and knocking the books apart. I'm never stopping them again. Never. I've... It's been a bedlam. I thought we'd seen the worst when we bought 200 copies of the Invisible Book of Invisibility. Cost a fortune, and we never found them. Well, is there anything else I can help you with? Yes, said Harry, looking down at his book list. I need Unfogging the Future by Cassandra Vavalistiki. I don't know how to pronounce that. Ah, starting divination, are you? Said the manager, stripping off his gloves and leading Harry into the back of the shop, where there was a corner devoted to fortune-telling. A small table was stacked with volumes, such as Predicting the Unpredictable, Insulate Yourself Against Shocks and Broken Balls, where, and Broken Balls, Where the Fortunes Turn Foul. Here you are, said the manager, who had climbed, who had climbed a set of steps to take down a thick, black-bound book. Unfogging the future. Very good guide to all your basic fortune-telling method methods. Palmistry, crystal balls, bird, bird and trails. But Harry wasn't listening. His eyes had fallen on another book, which was among a display of a small table. Death omens. What to do when you know the worst is coming. Oh, I wouldn't read that if I were you, said the assistant lightly, looking at what Harry was staring at. You'll start seeing death omens everywhere. It's enough to frighten anyone to death. Harry continued to stare at the at the front cover of the book. It showed a black a black dog, large as a bear with gleaming eyes. It looks oddly familiar. The assistant pressed Unfogging the Future into Harry's hands. Anything else, he said. Yes, said Harry, tearing his eyes away from the dog from the dogs and lazily consulting his book lazily consulting his book list. Er, I need intermediate transfiguration and standard book of spells grade three. Harry emerged from Flourish and Blots ten minutes late ten minutes later with his new books under his arms, and made his way back to the leafy cauldron hardly noticing where he was going and bumping into several people. He tramped up the stairs to his room, went inside it, and tipped the books onto his bed. Somebody had been in to tidy. The windows were open, the sun with, and, and the sun was pouring inside. Harry could hear the buses rolling by the unseen muggle street behind him. 
and the sound of the invisible crowd below in Diagon Alley. He caught a sight of himself in the mirror over the basin. It can't have been a death omen, he told his reflection definitely. I was panicking when I saw that thing in Magnolia Crescent. It was probably just a stray dog. He raised his hand automatically and tried to make his hair splat. You're fighting a losing battle there, dear, said his mirror in a wheezy voice. As they slipped by, Harry, Harry stared, looking wherever he went for a sign of Ron or Hermione. Plenty of Hogwarts students were arriving in Diagon Alley now, with a start of turn so near. Harry met Seamus Finnegan and Dean Thomas, his fellow Gryffindors and quality Quidditch supplies, where they, too, were oogling at the firebolt. He also ran to the real Neville Longbottom, a round-faced, forgetful boy outside Fleur's blots. Harry didn't stop to chat. Neville appeared to have mislaid his booklets, and he was being told off by his very formidable-looking grandmother. Harry hoped she never found out that he that he pretended to be Neville while on the run from the Ministry of Magic. Harry woke on the last day of the holidays, thinking that he would at least meet Ron and Hermione tomorrow on the Hogwarts Express. He got up dressed and went for a last look at the firebolt. He was just wondering where he'd have lunch when someone yelled when someone yelled his name and he turned. Harry? Harry They were there, both of them, sitting outside Flor Florian Fortescue's ice cream parlor. Ron looking incredibly fr freckly, Hermione, very brown, both waving frantically at him. Finally, said Ron, grinning at Harry, who sat down. We went to the leaky cauldron, but they said you left. Then we went to Flourish and Blotts, but and Madame Malkings, and I got all my school stuff last week, Harry explained. And how come and how come you know I'm staying at the leaky cauldron? Dad, said Ron simply. Mr. Weasley, who who worked at the Ministry of Magic, would of course have heard the whole story of what happened to Aunt Marge. Did you really blow up your Aunt Harry? Wait, no, that's not Ron. Did you really blow up your Aunt Harry? Said Hermione in a very serious voice. I didn't mean to, said Harry, while Ron roared with laughter. I just lost control. It's not funny, Ron, said Hermione sharply. Honestly, I'm amazed Harry wasn't expelled. So am I, Her admitted Harry. Forget expelled, I thought I was going to be arrested. He looked at Ron. Your dad doesn't know why Fudge let me off, does he? Probably because it's you, isn't it? Shrugged Ron, still chuckling. Famous Harry Potter and all that. I'd hate to see what the Ministry would do to me if I blew up my aunt. Mind you, they'd have, a, they'd have to dig me up first, because Mom would have killed me. Anyway, you can ask Dad yourself this evening. We're staying at the Leaky Cauldron tonight, too. So you can come to King's Cross with us tomorrow. Hermione's there as well. Hermione nodded, beaming. Mom and Dad dropped me off Mom and Dad dropped me off here this morning with all my Hogwarts things. Excellent, said Harry happily. So, have you got all your new books and stuff? Look at this, said Ron, pulling a long, thin box out of out of a bag and opening it. Brand new wand. Fourteen inches willow containing one unicorn tail hair. And we've got all our books. 
He pointed at a large bag under under his chair. What about those monster books, eh? His assistant nearly cried when we said we wanted to. What's all that, Hermione? Harry asked, pointing pointing at not one, but three bulging bags in the, in the chair next to her. Well I'm taking more well, I'm taking more new subjects than you aren't I, said Hermione. Those are my books for arithmetic, magical creatures, divination, study of ancient runes, muggle studies. What are you doing muggle studies for? said Ron, rolling his eyes at Harry. You're muggle born. Your mum and dad are muggles. You already know all about muggles. Well, it'll be fascinating to study from study them from the wizarding point of view, said Hermione earnestly. Are you planning to eat or sleep at all this year, Hermione? said Harry, while Ron snickered. Hermione, Hermione ignored them. I've still got ten gallons, she said, taking her purse. It's my birthday, September, and my and Mom and Dad gave me some money to get myself an early birthday present. How about a nice book? said Ron, innocently. No, I don't think so, said Hermione, composedly. I really want an owl. I mean, Harry's got Hedwig, and, and you've got Errol. I haven't, said Ron. Errol's the family owl. All I've got is scabbers. He pulled his pet rat out of his pocket. And I want to get him checked over, he added, he added, placing scabbers on the table in front of them. I don't think Egypt agreed with him. Scabbers was looking thinner than usual, and there was a definite droop in his whiskers. There's a magical creature there's a magical creature shop just over there, said Harry, who knew Diagon Alley very well by now. You can see if they've got anything for scabbers, and Hermione can get her owl. So they paid for their ice creams and crossed the street to the magical to the magical menagerie. There wasn't much room inside. Every inch of the wall was hidden by cages. It was smelly and very noisy because of the occupants of these cages were all squeaking, squawking, jabbing, gibbering, or hissing. The witch behind the counter was already advising a wizard on the advising a wizard on the care of double ended newts. So Harry, Ron, and Hermione waited, examining the cages. A pair of enormous purple toads sat wet gulping wetly and feasting on dead blow flies. A gigantic tortoise with with jewel-encrusted shell, was glittering near the window. Poisonous orange snails were oozing, were oozing slowly up the side of, a, of their glass tank. And a fat white rabbit kept changing into a silk top hat and back again, with a loud popping noise. Then, there were cats of every color, a noisy cage, a noisy cage of ravens, a basket of funny custard-colored furballs, that were humming loudly, and on the counter, a vast cage of sleek black rats, which were playing some sort of skipping game using their using their long bald tails. The double-ended newt wizard left, and Ron approached the counter. It's my it's my rat, he told the witch. He's been a bit off color ever ever since I brought him back from Egypt. Bang him on the counter, said the witch, pulling pulling a pair of heavy black spect spectacles out of her pocket. Ron lifted Scabbers out of the out of his inside pocket. 
and placed him next next to the cage of his fellow rats, who stopped their skipping tricks and scuffled to the wire for better for a better look. Like nearly everything Ron owned, Scabbers was the rat. Scabbers the rat was second hand. He had once belonged to Ron's brother Percy, and a bit battered. Next to the glossy rats in the cage, he looked especially woebegone. Hmm, said the witch, picking up Scabbers. How old is this rat? Don't know, said Ron. Quite old. He used to belong to my brother. What powers does he have? Said the witch, examining Scabbers closely. Uh, said Ron. The truth was... The truth was that Scabbers had never shown the faintest trace of interesting powers. The witch's eyes moved from Scabbers' tattered left ear to his front paw, which had a toe missing, and cutted loudly. He's been through the mill, this one, she said. He was like that when Percy gave him to me, said Ron defensively. An ordinary common garden rat like this can't be expected to live longer than three years or so the witch. Now, if you are looking for something a bit more hard-wearing, you might like one of these. She indicated the black rats, who were promptly starting skipping again. Ron muttered, show off. Well, if you don't want a replacement, I can, you can try this rat tonic, said the witch, reaching under the counter and bringing, bringing out a small red bottle. Okay, said Ron. How much? Ouch! Ron buckled as something huge and orange came soaring from the top of the highest cage and landed on it on his head and then propelled itself, spinning madly at Scabbers. No, Crookshanks, no, Crookshanks, no, cried the witch. But Scabbers shot from between her hands like a bar of soap. So, landed splay-legged on the floor and scarped for the floor and scarped for the door. Scabbers, Ron shouted. Parrying out of the out of the shop after him, Harry followed. It took them nearly ten minutes to find Scabbers, who had taken refuge under the west waste paper bin outside Quality Quidditch Supplies. Ron stuffed the trembling rat back into his pocket and straightened up, massaging his head. What was that? It was either a very big cat or a very small or a or quite a small tiger, said. Harry. Where's Hermione? Probably getting her owl. They made their way back up to the crowded street to the magical menagerie. As they reached it, Hermione came out, but she wasn't carrying an owl. Her arms were clamped tightly around the enormous ginger cat. You bought that monster? said Ron, his mouth hanging open. He's gorgeous, isn't he? He's gorgeous, isn't he? said Hermione, glowing. That was a matter of opinion, thought Harry. The cat's ginger fur was thick and fluffy, but it but it was definitely a bit bow-legged, and his face looked grumpy and oddly squashed, as though it had as though it had run headlong into a brick wall. Now that Scabbers was out of sight, however, the cat was purring. Was purring contentedly in Hermione's arms. Hermione, that thing nearly scalped—that thing nearly scalped me," said Ron. "Said Ron. You didn't mean to, did you, Crookshanks?" Said Hermione. 
And what about Scabbers, said Ron, pointing out a lump in his chest pocket. He needs rest and relaxation. How is he going to get that one? How is, how is he going to get it with that thing around? Reminds me you forgot your rat tonic, said Hermione, slapping a small red bottle into Ron's hand. And stop worrying. Crookshanks will be sleeping in my dormitory and Scabbers in yours. What's the problem? Poor Crookshanks, poor Crookshanks, uh, which said he'd been there for ages. No one wanted him. I wonder why, said Ron sarcastically, as they set off towards the leaky cauldron. They found Mr. Weasley sit sitting up in the bar, reading the Daily Prophet. Harry, he said, smiling as he looked up. How are you? Fine, thanks, said Harry, as he, Ron, and Hermione joined Mr. Weasley with all their shopping. Mr. Weasley put down his paper, and Harry saw, saw now... A familiar picture of Sirius Black staring at him. We still haven't caught him. We still haven't caught him then? He asked. No, said Mr. Weasley, looking extremely grave. They pulled us all out of our regular jobs at the ministry to try and find him. But no luck so far. Would we get a reward if we caught him? Asked Ron. It would be good to get some more money. Don't be ridiculous, Ron said Mr. Weasley, who, on closer inspection, looked very strained. Black's not going to be caught by a 13-year-old wizard. It's the Azkaban guards who'll get him back. You mark my words. At that moment, Mrs. Mrs. Weasley entered the bar, laden with shopping and followed by the twins, by the twins, friend George, who were about to start their fifth year at Hogwarts. The newly elected head boy Percy and the Weasley's youngest child, and the only girl, Ginny. Ginny, who had always been very taken with Harry, seemed more heartily embarrassed than usual when she saw him, perhaps because he had saved life during the, their last term at Hogwarts. She went very red and muttered, Hello, without looking at him. Percy, however, held out his hand solemnly, as though he and Harry had never met, and asked, Harry, how nice to see you. Hello, Percy, said Harry, trying not to laugh. I hope you're well, said Percy, pompously, shaking his hands. It was rather like being introduced to the mayor. Very well, thanks. Harry, said Fred, elbowing Percy out of the way and bowing deeply. Simply splendid to see you, old boy. Marvelous, said George, pushing Fred aside and seizing Harry's hand in, in turn. Absolutely spiffing, Percy scowled. That's enough now, said Mrs. Weasley. Mom, said Fred, as though he had only just seen, spotted her and seized her hand. How really corking to see you. <laughs> I said that's enough, said Mrs. Weasley, just depositing her shopping, her shopping in an empty chair. Hello, Harry dear. I suppose you've heard our exciting news. She pointed out the brand new silver badge on Percy's chest. Second head boy in the family, she, she said, swelling with pride. And last, Fred muttered under his breath. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that, said Mrs. Weasley, frowning suddenly. I noticed they haven't made you two prefects. What do we want to be prefects for, said George, looking revolted at the very idea. 
we'll take all the fun out of life. Jenny giggled. You want to set a better example for your sister, snapped Mrs. Weasley. Jenny's got other brothers to set to set her an example, mother, said Percy, said Percy loftily. I'm going up to change for dinner. He disappeared, and George heaved a sigh. We tried to shout him in a pyramid, he told Harry, but Mom spotted us. Dinner that night was an, a very enjoyable affair. Tom the innkeeper put three tables together in the parlor, in the parlor, and the seven Weasleys, Harry and Hermione, ate their way through, ate their way through five delicious courses. How are we going to get to King Cross tomorrow, Dad? How are we going to get to King's Cross tomorrow, Dad? Asked Fred as they tucked into a, tucked into a, sumptuous chocolate pudding. The ministry is provi providing a couple of cars, said Mr. Weasley. Everyone looked at him. Why, said Percy curiously. Because of you, Perce, said George seriously. And there will be little flags and bonnets which H with HB on them. For, for, hum for humongous big head, said Fred. Everyone except Percy and Mrs. Weasley snorted into their pudding. Why are the ministry providing cars, Father? asked Percy again in a dignified voice. Well, as we haven't got any more, said Mr. Weasley, since we haven't got one anymore, said Mr. Weasley, and as I work there, they're doing me a favor. His voice was casual, but Harry couldn't help noticing that Mr. Weasley's ears had gone red, just like Ron's. But just like Ron did when he was under pressure. Good job too, said Mr. said Mrs. Weasley briskly. Do you realize how much language you've all, how much luggage you've all got between you? A nice, a nice sight. You'd be on the Muggle Underground. You're all packed. You're all packed, aren't you? Ron hasn't, Ron hasn't put all his new things in his trunk yet, said Percy with a long-suffering voice. He's dumped them on my bed. You'd better go and pack, pack properly, Ron, because we won't have much time in the morning, said Mrs. Weasley. Mrs. Weasley called down the table. Ron scowled at Percy. After dinner, everyone felt very full and sleepy. One by one, they made their way upstairs to their rooms to check their things for the next day. Ron and Percy were next door to Harry. He had just closed and locked his own trunk when he heard angry voices through the wall. And he went to see what was going on. The door of number 12 was ajar, and Percy was shouting. It was on here, on the bedside table. I look, I took it off for polishing. I haven't touched it, all right, said Ron. Ron roared back. What's up, said Harry. My head boy badge is gone, said Percy, rounding on Harry. So's rat, Scabber's rat tonic, said Ron, throwing things out of his trunk to look. I think I might have left it in the bar. 
You're not going anywhere till you've found my badge, yelled Percy. I'll get Scabber's stuff. I'll get Scabber's stuff. And pack. Harry said Harry said to Ron as they as he went downstairs. Harry was halfway along the passage to the bar, which was now very dark, when he heard another pair of angry voices coming from the parlor. A second later he recognized them as Mr. and Mrs. Weasley's. He hesitated, not wanting them to know he had heard them rowing, when the sound of his own name made him stop, then move closer to the parlor door. It makes no sense not to tell him, said Mr. Weasley. Mr. Weasley was saying heatedly. Harry got a right Harry's got a right to know. I've tried to tell Fudge, but he insists on treating Harry like a child. He's thirteen years old and Arthur, the truth would terrify him, Mrs. Weasley, said Mrs. Weasley shrilly. Do you really want to send Harry back to school with that Harry hanging over him? For heaven's sake, he's happy not knowing. I don't I don't want to make him mis I don't want to make him miserable. I want to put him on his guard, retorted Mr. Weasley. You know what Harry and Ron are like, wandering off by themselves. They've ended up in the Forbidden Forest. But Harry mustn't do that this year. When I, when I think, what, what could have happened to him that night when he ran away from home? If the night bus hadn't picked him up, I, if the night bus hadn't picked him up, I'm prepared to bet he would have been dead before the ministry found him. But he's not dead. He's fine. So what's the point, Molly? They say Sirius Black's mad, and maybe he is. But he was clever enough to escape from Azkaban. And that's supposed to be impossible. It's been a month now, and no one's seen, no one's, and no one's seen hide nor hair of him. And I don't care what Fudge keeps telling the Daily Prophet. When I were no nearer catching Black than inventing self-spelling wands, the only thing we know for sure is that Black is what Black's after. But Harry will be perfectly safe at Hogwarts. We thought Azkaban was perfectly safe. If, if Black can break out of Azkaban, he can break into Hogwarts. But no one's really sure that Black's after Harry. There was thud on wood, and Harry was sure Mr. Weasley had banged his fist on the table. Molly, how many times do I have to tell you? They didn't report it. Report it in the press, because Fudge wanted to keep it quiet. But Fudge went out to Azkaban the night Black escaped. The guards told Fudge that Black had been talking in his sleep for a while now. Always the same words. He's at Hogwarts. He's at Hogwarts. He's at Hogwarts. Black is deranged, Molly. And he wants Harry dead. So if you ask me, he think, if you ask me, he thinks murdering Harry will bring you-know-who back to power. Black lost everything that the night Harry stopped you-know-who. And, and he's had 12 years alone in Azkaban to root on that. There was a silence. Harry went still, went still closer to the door, desperate to hear more. Well, Arthur, you must do what you think is right. But you're forgetting Albus Dumbledore. I don't think anything could hurt Harry at Hogwarts while Dumbledore is headmaster. I suppose he knows about all this. 
Of course he knows. We had the Azkabans the Azkaban guards stationing themselves around the entrances to the school grounds. He wasn't happy about it, but he agreed. Not happy? Why shouldn't he be... Why shouldn't he be... Why shouldn't he be happy if they're... If they're... If they're there to catch Black? Dumbledore isn't fond of the Azkaban guards, said Mr. Weasley heavily. Nor am I, if it comes out to that. But when you're dealing with a, with a wizard like Black, you sometimes have to join forces to those you'd rather avoid. If they save Harry... If they save Harry, then I will never say another word against them, said Mr. said Mr. Weasley wearily. But it's late, Molly. We'd better go up. Harry heard cha chairs move. As quietly as he could, he hurried down the passage to the bar and out of sight. The parlor door opened, and a few seconds later, footsteps told them that Mr. and Mrs. Weasley were climbing upstairs. The bottle of rat tonic was lying under the table they had sat at earlier. Harry waited until he heard Mr. and Mrs. Weasley's bedroom door close, then he headed back upstairs with the bottle. Ben and George were crouching in the shadows on the landing, heaving laughter as they listened to Percy's dismantling, dismantling, dismantling his and Ron's room in search for his badge. We've got it, Fred whispered to Harry. We've been improving it. The badge now read, Big Head Boy. Harry forced a laugh, went to give Ron the rat tonic, went to give Ron the rat tonic, and shut himself in his room and lay down in his bed. So Sirius Black was after him. That explained everything. Fudge had been, had been lenient with him because he was so relieved to find him alive. He had made Harry promise to stay in Diagon Alley, where there were plenty of wizards to keep an eye on him, and was sending two ministry cars to take them to, all to the station tomorrow, so that the Weasleys could look after Harry until he was on the train. Harry lay listening to the muffled shouting next door, and wondered why he didn't feel more scared. Sirius Black had murdered 13 people with one curse. Mr. and Mrs. Weasley... Mr. and Mrs. Weasley obviously thought Harry would be panic-stricken if he knew the truth, but Harry happened to agree the wholeheartedly with Mrs. Weasley that the safest place on earth was wherever Albus Dumbledore happened to be. Didn't people always say that Dumbledore was the only person Lord Voldemort was ever afraid of? Surely Black as Lord Voldemort's right-hand man, would be just as frightened, as frightened of him. And then, there were these Azkaban guards everyone keeps talking about. They seemed to scare most people senseless. And if they were stationed around the school, Black's chances of getting inside seemed very remote. No, all in all, the thing that bothered Harry the most was the fact that, that his chances of visiting Hob made now looked like a zero. Nobody would want Harry to leave the safety of the castle until Black was caught. In fact, Harry suspected his every move would be carefully watched until the danger had passed. He scowled at the ceiling. He scowled at the dark ceiling. 
Did they think he couldn't look after himself? He escaped Lord Voldemort three times. He wasn't completely useless. Unbidden, unbidden, the image of the beast in the shadows of Magnolia Crescent crossed his mind. What to do when you know the worst is coming? I'm not going to be murdered. I'm not going to be murdered," said Harry out loud. "That's the spirit, dear," said his mirror sleepily. This has been the Very Harry Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Bye-bye.